when I was a, a kid, my parents were really like kind of very strict. So my rebellion was Stephen Curtis Chapman. Does anybody know who Stephen Curtis Chapman is? And it was, yeah, there you go. I love that song. Yeah. And that was back when he had like a mullet. You know what a mullet is, right? You know, business in the front, party in the back. And that's what, that's kind of what he was. And so, yeah, it was, uh, that was my rebellion was they wouldn't let me, now it's hilarious. They like it, but um, there's a lot of kind of weird names of, can anybody think of a weird name for a group? Any weird names? There was one, this, this mentioned here, Summer Strange, like strawberry alarm clock. You guys remember? Some of you guys are like, I know them. She's wearing their t-shirt right now. That's kind of weird. Um, so there's some just kind of funny names, right? Um, according to several sources, Bobby Hatfield and Bill Medley were, this is interesting, names that happened accidentally. There's a group where, yeah, Bobby Hatfield and Bill Medley, you're a hippie. That's what you are. You're, you're just a hippie. She's like, I, she already said the name. Yeah, she's from California, is where you're from. Uh, they were singing when someone in the audience shouted, that's righteous, brother. So from then on, they became known as the Righteous Brothers, right? An interesting name for guys who primarily sang popular and not religious music. But I bring that up because that, whole, that name, Righteous Brothers, tonight we're talking about the righteousness of God's name. And so there's my connection between what we were talking about and, and that. Names mean things, don't they? Names, are, names can, I feel like um, it's really interesting to me. I may have used this in another sermon that I talked about in this series, but it amazes me um, how many people are named things and they don't know what their name means. Um, I, talk, that's all, I connect a lot of times with teenagers especially and young people about, hey, that's an interesting name. Do you know what it means? And sometimes it's never really backfired too bad, but I, I kind of get worried sometimes that, I'm, that I ask somebody, and I, I don't know what it means either, and then I'll Google it, and it means like very ugly or, you know, like the name means something really bad, and like that could go really terribly. But almost always the names that people pick mean something meaningful. It means something very good, you know. Um, so, yeah, names can, can convey a lot of different things. Tonight we're going to talk about the righteousness of God's name or the fact that God's name is righteous. When I say the word righteous, what, what does righteous mean? What is righteousness? Um, give me what you think. Miss Laurie, what do you think? Righteousness, I think, is tied to holiness for sure. What else? Huh? Above all. Okay. That's interesting. I think... Uh, if you are righteous, there's a lot of people that aren't. And Jesus Christ, God's righteous, and so he's, he's definitely above us. So I'm, I'm with you there. What else? Yeah. So right sta- righteousness in terms of our relationship to God and, and others, yeah. There's a, there is a, uh, there's a sense in which there's a right standing. Your standing before someone can be righteous, Right? So um, sometimes we'll say about people like they did something and maybe they didn't mean to hurt, but they're, they're, we, we would say something like their motivation was righteous. They didn't want to do something wrong. They were trying to do something right. What do you think, Dave? 
Okay. So you're talking about self-righteousness. What is that? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a, I'm better than you. Is that, you just did that. What does this mean? I don't really know. Sometimes you do things. I'm kind of offended, Dave, that you did that at me. But um, anyway, no. So it, on a very basic level, righteousness is what's just, what's right, what's correct. That, that is good. So in truth, righteousness is a quality of God. In one way, we can think about righteousness, righteousness, holiness. Um, when you say these things, they kind of reflect who, who God is. Um, to, say, to say, when we exhibit qualities, when we say, oh, this person is acting good or they're acting holy, they're acting loving, um, we are doing things that um, show that we're, we're uh, made in the image of God. But if we're made in the image of God, we're reflecting God. God isn't in the image of God. God is God. He, he's not the shadow. He's the, he's the source. Does that make sense? And so... And so um, love is love, and love is right because it reflects who God is. Righteousness, again, righteousness, same thing. Righteousness is what it is because it reflects God's character. There's not some outside uh, standard to which God lives up to. God himself is the standard. Does that make sense? And so it's intrinsic to who he is. And, and so his name is that too. His name is righteous. All of his judgments are righteous because he is righteous. What about us? Not so much, right? At least not on our own. But thankfully, God made a way for us to be righteous too. So let's find out about that tonight. We're going to get into this study um, and we're going to talk about what it means to be righteous. We can know righteousness when we know and walk with Jesus. We can know righteous and actually we can be righteous in our position with God when we know and when we walk with Jesus. And I don't want to give you three facts about the Lord, what I'm calling, who, who we're going to call the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 5 and 6 and we're going to read about of the king of righteousness. And my first fact is this, the king of righteousness is coming. The king of righteousness is coming. If you are wanting to take notes, tonight we got our act together and we put the notes in the way place you can take notes, the handout on the back of the prayer list. So, so we're saving paper. We're trying to, trying to save the planet here. Amen. Uh, not really. We don't care. Um, but uh, so anyway, you get it on the back there. Here's what it says. Proverbs, we're in Jeremiah chapter 23, and we're looking at uh, verse number 5 and 6. And I want to get this in my actual Bible. I have it printed out on my notes, but I want to actually look at it. Jeremiah is after Isaiah, and now I'm just talking to myself. All right, Jeremiah chapter 23. Here we go. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a, what's the next word? Righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper, 
and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Man, this is a cool passage of scripture, isn't it? Many books could be written about um, all the things that Jesus did in his first coming. In fact, that's what the Gospels say. I, I suppose that if everything that could be written was written down, the world could not contain the books, is what one of the Gospel writers. Jesus did a lot in his first coming. This particular passage is not just talking, it's not talking about his first coming, it's talking about his his millennial reign. That's what's taught, being talked about here. You know, one day, the Bible says that before there's a new heaven and, there, and there's a new earth, after there's a tribulation, um, that Jesus Christ will reign for a thousand years. It's a millennial reign that people argue over whether it's a literal thousand years or I believe it's absolutely a literal thousand years that he literally will reign on earth and everything that's said in these two verses will absolutely be true, okay? Now, whenever we get done with Hebrews, which I think we're coming to a triumphant conclusion here on Sunday mornings, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be talking a little bit about some of these things and Jesus's perspective on, um, on what's gonna happen in the end times. I believe we're, we're in the last days to, today. I really believe that. Um, so, we're going to talk about that. This is a kind of a glimpse at it right here in Jer Jeremiah. He says, behold, hey, I'm, I'm telling you something you need to hear. The days come, it's coming, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Now, in, in uh, this particular, uh, in, my, in my translation here, this King James Bible, branch is actually capitalized. Do you see that? Is that it, that way in yours? And a king, and that king is not lowercase, it's uppercase. Now, we understand this is English, this is a translation, but it's referring to the fact that there's a, a deity that's being spoken of here, right? God will raise up unto David a righteous branch. Now, we know that Jesus was, uh, the Messiah was predicted to come in the line of David. David was promised uh, a, a, a kingdom, a, a line that would last forever, right? And that there would be someone that sit on his throne forever. And so for, some, for someone to be on David's throne forever, they have to be God. For him to someone to sit on David's throne, they have to be man. The only one that could fulfill that is Jesus Christ himself. And so when he says, he's, uh, the, I will raise up to David a righteous branch, he's, of course, David had a lot of kids, but there's a, a branch out of his seed that eventually will reign on David's throne, which becomes Jesus' throne in Jerusalem, right? And it says, and a king shall reign and prosper. That's what we want from kings, right? We, we want there to be prosperity. Um, it says, and he shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. It says, in, the, in his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell in safety. Judah, and one of the things, as you read the Old Testament, you, you, you'll see kind of a cadence um, 
and I'm trying to think of another verse that would do this, but there's almost like a repetition, right? You see that here. You see, when, isn't that what you read? In his, in his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell in safety. Well, Judah is the southern kingdom. There's 12 tribes of Israel, right? There's, when the, when the 12 tribes are split, there's the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes, right? Sometimes Israel in the Old Testament, and this may sound really confusing, but stay with me. Sometimes Israel, when it's the word Israel is used, especially during that divided kingdom time, which Jeremiah would have been in and around some of that time, they're talking about the 10 northern tribes. And when they talk about Judah, they're talking about the two southern tribes, even though Judah itself is a tribe. There's Judah and then there's Benjamin, my favorite tribe. The, those are the two, right? And then there's the 10, the 10 northern ones. So when he's saying, he, he's giving this all-encompassing thing to say, essentially, Israel will be restored back. It will be complete as one nation. That God will, that, that, that there will be a righteous branch, capital B. There'll be a righteous king, capital K. That he's going to sit on David's line. People that go back and understand, they go, he's talking about the Messiah. And it says that basically what he's going to do is execute judgment. Well, a lot of people execute judgment. What do I mean? Every king, every king that ever lived says, go do this, go do that. He's making judgments about what's going on. But he says here, he will execute judgment and justice, meaning that what this king's going to do is establish justice. Now, I saw before I got here today, and I'm not going to go big into the politics of it, but I saw one particular radio host playing a video of a candidate who caught somebody on, on tape trying to bribe this candidate not to run, okay? And it's officials in the Republican Party trying to get, anyway, it's, it's politics is dirty. Who agrees with me? I don't care which wing of the bird you're on, right? There, there are people in, in, in and around Washington, D.C., New York, any, anywhere you go, probably somewhere here in Finley. I don't have anybody in mind, but there's probably bribery and corruption that happens. That's just because people are human and they're sinful and it's wrong. This is describing a, a king who will prosper, whose people will prosper, and he is going to make sure that what happens in his kingdom is right. It's just. And that, who's looking forward to that? <laughs> a leader you can depend on that won't ever do anything wrong, right? It says this about him in verse 6. In his day Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell in safety. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now, what does that mean? This is such an interesting thing. It could be that he's being called this because he's making sure that what happens during, the, during this time is righteousness. So that like what's actually happening in the, in the community, in the culture, in Israel and Judah, and we know beyond that, 
He's executing justice and judgment. He's large and in charge, right? And so we are now more righteous because he's executing righteousness. He's making sure that those who are, could be corrupt won't be. And that kind of, you, you get what I'm saying? He, he's a good executive making sure everything happens that's right. That's one way of thinking about it. That's probably the way that the original readers would have thought about it because, uh, because they didn't quite have all the New Testament that we have. Today, here's what we know. Anybody that gets to heaven has to be righteous. Right? Anybody that makes it to God, to stand before God, to get from where we are to where God is, we have to be righteous. The problem is we aren't. Right? Did anybody mess up today? Can we take a, can we take a, uh, a poll? Okay? And if you don't raise your hand, we're going we're gonna to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You thought something you didn't, shouldn't have thought. You said something you shouldn't have said. You done something you shouldn't have done. Or you didn't do something that you should have done. You didn't think something you should have thought. <laughs> you didn't say something you should have said. Man, you start encompassing all the things that we could do wrong. Man, we're, we're messed up. And we're just talking about Wednesday, January 24th, as of 7.21 p.m. Let's not talk about yesterday and the day before and every day leading up to it. So I got a problem. For me to be where God is, I have to be righteous, but I can't produce my own righteousness. And that's what Paul talks about in the New Testament when he's, and, and the reformers, not that, any, not that all of them were right, but they got this right. They said that for us to have a righteousness that will help us get to heaven, that that righteousness must be an alien righteousness. What do I mean by alien? I don't mean E.T. or Chewbacca. An alien righteousness is a righteousness that's not native to me. An alien, an alien righteousness is a righteousness that's not intrinsic to who I am. I need someone else's righteousness applied to my account. And so when it says the, he'll be called the Lord our righteousness, what we're going to say is everybody that makes it into that kingdom and into, the, and into heaven beyond that is going to be there because Jesus Christ, who is actually righteous, his righteousness got imputed, is the New Testament term, imputed to our account. So that his righteousness is actually my righteousness, and my righteousness, the, the only righteousness gentry is going gonna, is gonna to get gentry there is Jesus' righteousness. My righteousness is as filthy rags, Right? And so in that day, I think that we're going to have, this is what I think is going to be so beautiful about heaven. Because we're not going to sin anymore, and because we're going to think like God thinks, I believe that in heaven there will be a constant refrain. And that constant refrain in our hearts and minds is, we're here for one reason, Jesus Christ. That's how we're here. He was my ticket here. I don't deserve to be here. He loves me. He cares for me. And so we're going to give him everything. We're going to worship him. We're going to know him and be known. It's going to be amazing. 
And so when you say righteousness, and by the way, that's a positional righteousness that we're given, right? But God's plan for our life is to make us actually righteousness in our living. And we call that sanctification. Salvation is being given Christ's righteousness imputed to our account, making us actually righteousness, actually righteous um, in terms of our position before God. But God wants to grow us to make us more and more right, more and more righteous. And so that's, that's a pretty cool thing. And so um, here's my point. This king of righteousness is coming. Is, he's coming. There's a sense in which he has come already. We read that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God who had sundry times and in diverse manners spoken us in, the, in, in old times by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. But there's also a sense in which he's going to come back. The angel looks at the disciples and says, why do you stand here gazing to the heavens? This same Jesus who went up before he's going to come back, right? And so that's an amazing, amazing thing. You see four things here. I want to show them to you. Um, this branch, when he rules, you're going to see that he's going to reign wisely. Do you see that in the verse? He shall reign and prosper. So you see wisdom there. He's going to administer truth and uh, justice and righteousness, judgment, justice in the earth. Number three, God's people are going to be saved. Isn't that awesome? I think there's a sense in which that is physically but there's also a sense in which that's spiritually, right? And Israel shall dwell in safety. And then number four, his name would testify everything he is, the Lord our righteousness. What a cool thing. Now, let's go. Number two, I may have preached these already, but here we go. Ready? Romans 3, 10 to 13. Here's what it says. You guys have your Bibles? Romans 3. 10 to 13, here's number two. We are doomed without the king. <laughs> That's the point. We are doomed without the king. That says with the king, that is a typo. We are not doomed with the king. We are doomed without the king. No, it's nobody's fault. Stephanie didn't do this. I won't throw under the bus who did it, but it's definitely we're doomed without the king, okay? Here's what it says. And this is a problem. Romans 3.10, starting halfway through the verse here. I'm going to go to it in my Bible so that I don't miss the first half. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. <laughs> That's ironic. Their th throat is an open sepulcher. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. All right. With their tongues they have used to seed, the poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear 
of God before their eyes. And so here, here's, here's what's going on. Um, it's saying something about us that in our own state, without Christ, this is a description of us. We are not righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. In and of ourselves, we don't understand God. We don't seek God. We've turned away. We're unprofitable. We don't do good. There is um, a misunderstanding, I believe, about um, about people outside of Christ. When we say that they're not righteous, that there's none righteous, it's talking about our right standing before God. And so in that, some would say, are you saying that a unbeliever, is Paul saying that an unbeliever cannot do something that could bring about a net good in the world? So could, could, an, could, a, could someone who's not a Christian uh, feed the poor? For sure. Could they, could they help an old lady across the street? You know, the, the proverbial doing good. Can they do those things? Yes. But what's being talked about here is that the good things that they do, they cannot make up for the wrongdoing that they do, right? There, there, is, a, there's a, there is a questioning here of even the motives of the good things that, that, that are done. Um, they're standing, when it says that all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags, it's saying that, that when, when we live out our lives, we're living out our lives as sinners. And in that sin, when we try to offer up to God uh, what we are like, it, it, it's like if you if you if if you if you've robbed me, if you've injured me, if you've hurt me, if you said bad things about me on the internet, and then you try to give me a coupon to Hardee's. It's not that the coupon can't save me a few. Did I just say Hardee's? Why did I say Hardee's? Is there a Hardee's in Finley even? I don't know. If you give me, if you give me a coupon to, to Bob Evans, right? Okay, thanks for the coupon, but could you take the stuff off the internet that you said about me? And can you fix my car? And you get what I'm saying? Like, it's not that you're not ever doing something okay. It's just that there's no, it, it becomes almost offensive for you to give me something because I'm already, you're already in a wrong place between you and me. And that's where, what he's talking about here. We, we have done so wrong and we, we have lived outside of Christ without, without a love for God, a recognition of God. You just take the Ten Commandments. We've violated every one. We've violated every one. And so to, to go to God and say, well, that one time, God, I did this right, and that one time I did that right, yeah, but why? Did you do it because you recognized who I was? Did you do it with the right heart attitude? And the, the answer, the vast, vast, vast majority of the time is absolutely not. And so, and for us to be not righteous means we don't stand before God. God is everything that is good. 
God gives every good gift. So to be separated from God is to be separated from every good gift. We're in a bad spot outside of Christ. The king's come and he's going to establish righteousness. And without the king, we're doomed. That leads to number three. You ready? This is not something you guys haven't heard before. Romans 3, 21 to 26. Here's point number three. We had no hope until the king arrived. (laughs) We had no hope until the king arrived. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare what? His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, what is it? His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, man, there is a lot of theology in that passage. And I probably don't have enough time to get through all of it. But what he's saying here, let's just start back in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. What does that mean? There is a way of being righteous according to the law. The only person that's ever done it is Jesus. Be born without a sin nature and do everything exactly right for the right reason your whole life. The only one that could pull that off is Jesus. The only one that did pull that off is Jesus. So he's saying, when he says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, what he's saying is, now we can declare that there's another way to be made righteous. Right? The only way they knew about before was by the law. And there were Pharisees, there were Jews that thought, it's like the rich young ruler. Hey, what, what do I need to do? When you need, what, what does the scripture say? To, what's the greatest law? You know, to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said that, and, and I'm mixing up two different stories, but, but the, the rich young ruler says, all of these things I've kept since my youth. Was that true? It was not true. Nobody's kept all those things since their youth, Right? So they thought, yeah, there is a way to be right enough to be good enough. And what they, they misunderstood the Old Testament because even in the Old Testament, there was this picture of an alien righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. 
a righteousness which is by faith. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. There's a way to be made righteous that's not by works. In fact, the only way to be made righteous for those of us who are not righteous is to be made righteous by the works of another, to, be met, to do it by faith. And that's why it says, it was, but he says it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What was the law and the prophets? The law would have been Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets are all the rest of it, right? And so what he says is, what he says is you may think it's new, but it ain't new. This was the testimony of the, even the Old Testament. But it's being manifested now, how? Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, how is, it, how is it righteousness unto us? It's by faith. How does it get to us? It's unto all and upon all them that believe. Are you glad for that? I can be made righteous not by my works. I can be made righteous by my faith. Why? Because Jesus Christ the Lord, the righteous, the one who is called the Lord, the righteous, has actually come and become righteous and then offered his righteousness to me when I put my faith and trust in him. Being justified, it says, verse 14, freely by his grace, through his redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through the faith in his blood. Propitiation means, does anybody know? Big word. A propitiation is a wrath-bearing sacrifice. Okay? It's a sacrifice. It is a payment that appeases the righteous anger of God for sin. So what it's saying is that Jesus himself became the object of God's wrath and shed his blood for our sins. He died physically, but he also was separated from God spiritually. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was rejected so that I could be accepted. He was, he was bruised so that I could be healed. Do you get it? By his stripes we are healed. Forgiven, restored. That's, that's how this happens. How does it happen? It's just by acknowledging that that's what he did for us. It's by belief in that. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. You know what it took? What's the forbearance of God? God was patient enough to allow that process to happen so that we would have the opportunity to believe. So that all those that look to him by faith, not knowing what would happen, but believing him would be imputed the righteousness of Christ before he died. And so that once Christ died, we can look back and go, oh, the gospel, the good news is that Christ was righteous. And that if I would put my faith and trust in him, his righteousness could be the way that I am saved. And that when I put my faith in him, 
he puts his righteousness to my account and I'm made right with God. And that is the only hope we have. The only hope we have, we had no hope until the king arrived. Why? It says it right there in that last verse, 26, that he might be just. What does that mean? If God let sin go, would he be just? Think about it. If God let sin go, would he be just? If he forgave Brian without punishing Jesus, would God be righteous? If you had a family member that got murdered and the case was made and we have the video and the jury comes back and says they're guilty and the judge says, oh, well, let him go. Is that judge just? Someone's got to pay. Someone's got to pay. God is so holy and so just and so righteous, he can't let that sin go. So what did he do? He poured out his penalty for my sin on his son. Pastor Ben, I've heard this before. You need to hear it again. You need to hear it again. The only hope we have is the hope we've been given that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son to be made a propitiation for our sins, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is he righteous? Oh, he is so righteous. His name is righteous. And here's what's so cool. You're like, Pastor Ben, if he's so righteous, why is the world so evil? If he's righteous, what about all the suffering and evil that's happening in the world? It seems like the evil people are prospering and the righteous people are getting trampled on. And what I would say to you is this, all wrong will absolutely be made right. Every sin will be righteously and justly paid for. Either by those who sinned paying for their own sin eternally or because Jesus paid for it on the cross and his righteousness has been put to the account of others. Does that make sense? It's gonna get it's gonna get taken care of. Maybe not by this Friday. Right? Maybe not when we think it ought to happen. But the minute I start thinking, God, why aren't you just? <laughs> I gotta go, oh wait, thanks for being merciful to me. Thank you for being gracious to me. Amen. God, I love you so much. I thank you that your name is righteous. I thank you for your righteousness displayed through your son and the way that he lived and what he did and how he, 
how he served and loved and cared and, and, and eschewed sin and evil and did what was right. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that his righteousness can be put to our account, not by works, but by faith in you. I thank you for that. And I pray that this message would be made manifest to everybody that we possibly can so that they could know that there is forgiveness available, mercy and grace available through your son. We love you. We thank you for it. Help us to have that message on our lips the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.